the sisterhood of the bottomless mimosa. Aloha friends, welcome back to the sisterhood, episode 24. This is Melissa. This is CJ. And that number always makes me think of Neil Young. Old man, look at my life. 24 and there's so much more. <laughs> how's, how's my Neil? <laughs> that was pretty good. Thank you. Thank you very much, y'all. Um, did you know that Neil Young's house has been burnt down in tragic fires like twice now in his life? I think I've heard that. Like he mo- he lost his home in the Malibu fires that occurred pretty recently in LA, but uh-huh. like that was the second time that happened to him. When was the first he, like, time? He like lost his house in a fire like several years before that. Isn't that insane? He oh. has I mean it gives him a lot of writing and musical um right. inspiration I'd assume. And he also but just has think like a, of like, hmm. what? It doesn't he have like a like a differently abled kid or like a hand? I don't know what the PC term. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I didn't I know he that. Does. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it like it pains me to think about all of those classic. Just like you have to imagine how much like fucking great shit that fool has, like historical music stuff. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that just pains me. Yeah. Well, hey, maybe it was in a fireproof safe. Let's hopefully let's, let's maybe, put it on the altar. Maybe he learned his lesson after fire one. <laughs> we should not laugh, but word. No, we should not word. Oh, Neil. So yeah, welcome to episode twenty-four, and there's so much more. Uh, we we have to tell you guys that we forgot to mention on our last episode that we have surpassed our year anniversary for recording episodes. So we didn't post episodes until I think mid-June, but we'd been recording since, what was the date? It was what I believe to be March 4th, 2018. So we forgot an entire week. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds about right. So yeah, guys, we have been recording this podcast for a fucking year, which is insane. Yeah, it's really, really, really crazy, Um, but also really exciting, and I'm stoked about that. Yeah, like we've reached this amazing fan base of 201 people. I mean... Uh, can someone please send us an email? I just want someone to email us and be like, I love you. And I will feel great. Mimosasisterhood at gmail.com. Thank you so much. Um, who, I think we both have little thingy thingies to say. Do you want to go first? I, well, yes. Say. Uh, today I did something that I think is very trendy now, but is so New Orleans to me, which is that I went and did yoga at a bar. So there's this wonderful organization in New Orleans called NOLA Tribe Yoga or NOLA Yoga Tribe. And they don't have a studio. They just do like satellite events all over town. So during the spring, they do goat yoga and they do poolside yoga. And they have a weekly yoga class at this place called the Chop Yard, which is this giant outside bar. Um, Have I been there? No, no. Oh. No. Uh, You've been to, you went to like a similar bar with me in in a different part of town. 
very like similar vibe. Yeah, very similar vibe to, to Bayou Wine Garden, but bigger. And it was a huge class because it was a free class tonight. So there were, I mean, like, it was huge. There was, like, almost, there was probably, like, 70 people there. It was massive. Uh, and it was so nice because it's now mid-March, so spring is starting to spring in New Orleans. Sorry, the rest of you people who live in, like, Minnesota and shit. But uh, so it was really nice and they do it under this gigantic oak that's got all of these lights on it and like the moon was just coming out and it was just like majestic as fuck. Uh, and I, I had to get back on the wagon of working out because I definitely fell off between like November and February. November and February was just like cupcakes and wine. That's all that was. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm getting back on the wagon because I've decided that in May, CJ has another crazy fitness goal. I'm going to hike three 14ers in Colorado, which are mountains that hit 14,000 feet elevation. And, uh, and I'm going to do that probably at the end of May. I don't work out unless I have like a life threatening thing to kick my ass into gear. wanted to do something crazy so uh, I'm gonna go visit Jimmy and he and I are gonna try to do three of them in a week but we'll see how it goes is this gonna be like with other people or just you guys together it's just us so there's like 50 over 50 14ers in Colorado but there's a range of difficulties so they're like classified as like class one two three four and i think five and the ones we're doing are classes one and two so like you don't need any special equipment you don't need to camp overnight you can theoretically you can do them in a day if you're in good shape but you know like a class four mountain you need like ice picks and like you probably have to camp out i'm like i'm not doing any of that shit so um and you also you know like fourteen thousand feet is really high but you're also starting really high so you're starting at like, you know, eight, nine, ten thousand foot elevation. So it's not like you're going from sea level all the way up to 14,000 feet. But it's still like really challenging, especially because at that elevation, it's really hard to breathe. Uh, the yeah. oxygen is super thin. And the thing that I learned that is like even more motivating because we literally could die. There are these mountain storms that happen in the middle of the day. And if you're above tree line, you're basically like a giant lightning rod. So you have to like have summit at the peak and be back down to the tree line by like 1 p.m. So you're literally like racing against the clock. So I needed something like that, like kind of like last year I did the Grand Canyon hike. And then in October, I did the the bike ride. But like I'm never motivated by anything but literally survival. So... Please tell me you're aware of that recent story that took place with the mountain jogger in Colorado. No, tell me. Am I going to die? And the mountain lion that attacked him. Oh, my God. Tell me. That he murdered. Yes! I mean, like, (laughs) sorry, mountain lion. Tell me. Okay, you need... This was, like, national news for, like, weeks. You have to look it up. It took place in Colorado, and it was just, like, this guy in his mid-30s that, like, was out doing his regular, like, hillside running. I don't know what the fuck it was. And he had... I think he... No, he didn't have headphones in. That was the point he was making, was that if he did have headphones in, he wouldn't have known that he was about to be attacked Mm -hmm. but he was running just like by himself on like a regular trail trail that has like other people running on it like nothing crazy 
and he got like first he had this overwhelming instinctual feeling like something was watching him mm-hmm. and then he started to like hear like lurking through like this like whatever type of like i don't know weeds or whatever that was surrounded him and so he like stopped running and turned around and there was a mountain lion like a few feet behind him like ready to pounce and it fucking pounced and they wrestled it out on the floor and he ended up strangling the mountain lion <gasps> and killed it with his bare hands <gasps> and then he got shit. up and ran to safety and other trail people like ended up seeing him and like they all called the ambulance and he was like safe he had a bunch of scratches he had some bite marks but he um like the two things he said was that he never would have survived that attack one if he had had headphones in because he wouldn't have heard anything which Mm -hmm. like is a point we all need to think about when we go running by ourselves like even just like women running like I almost went on a run the other night and it was like getting dark and I was gonna put my music on I'm like oh do I want to die no I think not like I'll go to the gym on the treadmill tonight but that is one thing and then the other thing that he quoted was that he lives with cats and so his everyday interaction with just cats at home and like how they fight and like how to like how their bodies work and stuff like that like he just instinctually knew how to get on top of it and like where to lay his body to like stop breathing that is insane yeah like that dude's tinder profile is fucking set for life he's married (laughs) and like imagine getting the phone call that your husband was just attacked by a mountain lion and he strangled it and he survived like That job, that guy's getting blowjobs for the rest of his life every day. Constant blowjobs. What a badass. <laughs> I'll give him a blowjob. Where are you at? <laughs> but yes, please keep that in mind. Like, outside of weather conditions and, like, s- fight or flight, like, there are animals there that want to eat you. So this, I can't, I don't think I've told this story on the podcast before, but this reminds me of a time when I was like 22 and I had gotten drunk as shit at my roommate and I's house. And I decided that I was going to drive to the store to get more booze. And my roommate took my, like a good roommate took my keys and hid them because she was like, you're super drunk. You're not going to do that. And I got like, I was just being a drunken asshole. And I was like, give me my keys and got really upset and stormed off like a little baby back bitch. I was 22. We did stupid stuff. And I started, I lived like in these kind of wooded hills at the time in the Bay area. And I started walking through the hills and I don't know if I just like hallucinated this or what, but I swear to God, so it's like totally dark. There's no lights. I, there's no street lights anywhere. I just hear this like, Bow. I swear to God, I heard like the sound of a giant growling cat. And I do know for a fact that there are mountain lions in those hills. It was like where I grew up. And I fucking lost it. Like I started barreling up the hill full fucking speed, which for me was like two miles an hour, like drunk, absolutely sobbing, called one of my best friends, Linda, because I was so convinced I was going to die and I like didn't want to die alone. And I'm just like, I'm like completely hysterical. You can't understand anything I'm saying. She's like, wait, wait, like, what is happening? What is happening? I'm like, I'm being chased by a mountain lion. I'm going to die. And she just basically like hung out on the phone with me until I got back to my house completely safe, not at all attacked by a mountain lion. 
And I called her the next day and I was like, so about last night, she was like, dude, you have no idea how hard it was to not laugh when you said you were about to get eaten by a mountain lion because you were so upset. Like I knew I had to take the situation seriously, but it was like the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. So she played a really good sport and basically just like pretended I was being attacked by a mountain lion until I felt better. Oh my God. fucking end. Well, you know, so kids at home, here's some education for you if you ever encounter a mountain lion before you decide to strangle it with your bare hands. Um, You're supposed to make, well, like, first you're supposed to see, you're not supposed to back away. You're supposed to stand your ground because they'll start to, like, think you're prey. So you're supposed to, like, stand your ground. You, like, don't freak out. You don't run. And you make yourself as big as possible. So, like, you put your hands over your head. Like, you don't advance towards them. Like, you're going to attack. But you basically just, like, try to make yourself as big as you possibly can. And then uh, if that doesn't deter them, then you start throwing shit at them, which, like, you shouldn't do unless it's a last-ditch effort. And then if that doesn't work, then you either run or you wrestle to them them to the ground and strangle them with your bare hands, depending on how well, badass you, you are. You would never you would never outrun any like animal for the no. most part. So like no. it's like wrestle match. Yeah, right. Yeah. But first make yourself big and scary. Try that first. Good luck, so anyway, y'all. So yeah, please, Mike, that's Mike. my one po- point of advice for this hike that you plan on doing. Watch out for mountain lions in Colorado. All right. I'll just let Jimmy do it. I'm like, you got it, right? <laughs> Bring a pocket knife. Like, imagine if you had a knife, though. You could just, like, yeah. stab that thing in the throat, and then he's dead. Ugh. I'd be so sad. Probably not, though. In the moment, with your adrenaline going, you'd just be like, stab! You'd probably, like, keep killing it, too. You'd be like, all of a sudden, you're, like, a mass murderer in, like, two seconds. <laughs> I've awakened the bloodlust. <laughs> I'm sure it's probably true. Um... So there's that. So y'all wish me luck with my 14ers. That's still a few months away, but I'm trying to get in shape now. And then the other thing I just wanted to briefly say, when I was editing our last week's episode, I was like, God, like I am in such a better mood now. I was so depressed in the last episode. <laughs> you can tell, like, I just sound totally like ballsy or ballsy, like just balls. So guys, you know, when you're making a podcast, some days you just like record on the days you record and some days you're in a good mood and sometimes you're not, but we fucking show up and stick it out for you regardless. And I also wanted to say as a segue that I've been listening to this podcast that I really, really love called The Hilarious World of Depression. It's been around for a few seasons now. It's not new. It's a pretty big one. Uh, But it's basically this guy who just talks to comedians and comedic writers who have depression, which is like all of them for whatever reason that seems to go hand in hand with comedy. And it's just these very funny, very smart, very articulate people talking about anxiety and depression and like how they deal with all these things. I would recommend everyone check out that podcast. It is so freaking good. Um, Even if you're not like anxious or depressed, like they just have really funny stories and just like coping skills that anyone could use. So it's a super cool podcast. If you haven't heard of it, check it out. The Hilarious World of Depression. And uh, and we're doing good today. So that's all I have to say. You tell me what's going on with you. Well, um... I have two things to note. One, one of my really, 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 really good friends is in labor right now. Wow! 
I know. I've been literally watching this baby grow every single day, 40 hours a week, for nine months. Because this is one of my coworkers who sits in the chair directly next to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I've watched that stomach get larger and larger and larger day by day. And today is the fucking day. So I just want to give a little shout out to Shauna that I hope your body only rips minimally. And I hope that things can be stitched up nicely. And (laughs) I hope it's not too many hours. And I hope you like your baby when it comes. So shout out to her and to other women that give birth. It is by far my absolute worst fear in life. And that is a level of like respect that I cannot understand and will not understand until the day I give birth if that happens. Well, thank you so much for inspiring me to go have a baby. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Uh, Is it her first? Yes. Oh, wow. That's exciting. I don't know. Not that it's not exciting when it's not your first, but that's like scary and new. It seems horrifying. I wouldn't even say exciting. I'd I'd say like absolute highest level of fear possible. Yeah. In my opinion yeah um but she's in the bed as we speak just talk to her husband and it's just waiting until the baby decides to come out and then it's push time do we know what it is it's a boy but she has uh kept the name a secret and so myself and one of my other friends gave it our own name and we've been calling it this name for nine months to the point that everybody at work calls the baby this name now and people actually thought it was the baby's name and it isn't but we have decided to name this baby julio gilbert (laughs) okay and so we're going to be really disappointed if we find out the baby is not actually named Julio Gilbert. But stay tuned till next week. I'll let you know. <laughs> Great. Well, we do know for sure that he's a Pisces. I know. We do know that, mm-hmm. which is great because she's a Cancer and her husband's a Pisces. Oh, that's so that's so going to be one Aww. really watery, emotional family. Just a loving family. Or I know, a wreck. Right? depends on <laughs> go to therapy y'all just keep it this is not she's gonna be listening to this she's gonna be like fuck you guys <laughs> i am not naming him julio gilbert <laughs> cool um okay. so that's number one number two is i picked up my rental car today because my car was crashed into the freeway due to just year 2019 melissa's life And so I don't have a car for a month, um, and so I picked up my rental car today, and I fucking love it, and I'm dying laughing, because it's, like, a car I never in my life would have ever considered buying, and now I want to, like, buy it tomorrow. What is it? It's the hamster car. Like, the the little electric ones, or whatever, what are they called? (laughs) The Kia Soul. You know how they have, like, the hamster dance or the hamsters break dance on the commercial? Oh, I don't remember. Sorry. But oh. okay. It's cute. Well, I was really excited because when you get a rental, they, like, don't tell you what you're getting. 
and they're just like go to the parking garage on this level and this lane and blah 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 and then like go to go to like floor number whatever and so you show up and then like there's the car and like my first thought was oh my god it's the fucking hamster car which just like made me even happier because I want to drive something that's considered the hamster car (laughs) and then I've been driving it all day and it's the fucking shit. So I'm really excited about it because my old car is a piece of shit and it's an even bigger piece of shit because it got totaled. And so now I think I'm going to get the hamster car. And I believe that all of this happened as a universal fate to where I was always supposed to have the hamster car, but I was Mm -hmm. never going to know that until my piece of shit got smashed and it led me to the rental car that gave me the hamster car. There you fucking go. Wait, so it's like totaled for show? They're not going to do? Well, no. They they say that it can be repaired, but it's like they can't give an estimated date of when that will be done because the damage is so bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, get the hamster car. I like that. So, yeah. I'm really excited. So What color would you get if you were to buy one? Well, the car I'm driving now is a white hamster car. But it looks a lot like a milk carton, and I don't think I like that. (laughs) So I'd probably just get a black hamster car. But I'm going to send you a gif of the hamsters dancing, because I sent it to literally everybody. And when you see it, it's going to bring you lots of joy, and you're going to understand why I'm so happy about my hamster car. Yes. Okay. And also, I just like the fact that it's called Soul. I was just going to say you could call it like your soul red. Right? Mm-hmm. The soul mobile. That's the, right. My hamster soul. Your hamster soul. Uh, soul so yeah, that's, that's, that's what's happening in my life. Um, real exciting okay. stuff, guys. Wow. So should I we think, wine review now? Or are I we think done? we should wine review. I'm actually drinking. Okay. You, you go first. So I'll give like a double review. So I, after yoga, I ran to this place with, I didn't run. I was driven there by my friend called Bromart. I don't know why it's called Bromart, but there's a shop called Bromart New Orleans that's spelled like B-R-E-A-U-X, the way we spell like everything French here. So I don't know if it was like started by a bro, but anyway, I got two bottles of wine and I wanted to review the Pinot Grigio I bought because it had the cutest label. But it was, even though it was like 15 bucks, it was like totally disgusting. It was way too fucking sweet. Like, so I'm not going to review that one. It's going to sit in my fridge for a while. Instead, I'm going to review a 2017 Californian Sauvignon Blanc from Ava Grace Vineyards. And it has like a really cute, I don't know if you can see that. Yeah. It's like blue and gold flower label. Mm -hmm. And it was picked out by my friend Emily, who I know wanted a shout out. So shout out to Emily. Thank you for (laughs) this for me. And it has notes of grapefruit, gooseberry, and melon balanced with a crisp, refined finish. It's not bad, but it like straight up tastes like grape juice. (laughs) Like just straight up. Like... It's sweet like grape juice. It's sweet, but not cloyingly sweet. It's, I mean, like it tastes like grape juice. It's like, like a, like a white grape without sugar added. I don't know how to describe it. It does not taste like a wine. Like I'm going to drink it. It's not bad. Um, But I almost like don't trust it. 
You know what I mean? I'm like, I feel like if I drink this whole bottle, I'd like light a car on fire and forget about it in the morning or something. Like it's, it's too easy. <laughs> it's like, it's too easy to drink, but it's not bad. It's good. It's good. So Ava Grace Vineyards, 2017 Sauvignon Blanc, cute ass Baba. Does what's the alcohol by volume? Unclear, but that's what I'm drinking tonight. Go Bromart with the grapefruit juice wine. Thanks, bro. Well, I'm drinking a rosé, which, like, I don't like rosé. I'm on the fence with it. Like, to me, rosé just tastes like, um, almost just like, like, uh, a white wine that has gone bad. Uh, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, yeah. Because it's, like, very light and refreshing, like, white wine. And it is kind of like white wine, but then it just has this, like, weird, like, (coughs) after finish to it. Anyway, it's fantastic. But the coolest part is this little flower (gasps) image at the bottom. Uh, Is that from the, that, those bottles you got from No, it isn't. Um, This is actually a bottle that my friend Lindsay bought for me. For my birthday. Oh, damn. In September. And I just got around to opening it up in March. Um, But it's called Cote des des Roses. Gerard Bertrand. And it's a mix of Grenache, Syrah, and something called Sinsult, I guess. I don't know. Mm. But it's French. And, like, I'm going to fucking drink it. But, like... I mean, I wish it was a Sauvignon Blanc. Like, I'm just not a big rosé fan. I also, rosé for me is very iffy. Occasionally I'll have one that's like, just like perfect combination of dry and crisp. But I'm like, yeah, this is it. But sometimes I feel like, it almost tastes like feet sometimes. I don't know, (laughs) this is like weird to it. So I can sometimes drink it. But yeah, and maybe I'm this like, just yeah. isn't the right setting. Like, some things that I drink, I think I need to be in the right setting to enjoy it fully. Mm. Like, this might be, like, an outside-by-the-pool type wine. Totally. Totally. I feel like rosé is also best uh, enjoyed with company, with other girls, specifically. Not with, like, a dude. With other girlfriends. Yeah. Where you'd be like, cha 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 Like, that's a good time for rosé. You know? I do know. But you like it. But this one's good. I mean, no. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) But you're like, but I'm going to drink it. But the bottle is cute. The bottle is really cute. It has, like, so the very bottom of the bottle that, like, literally, like, would rest on the table, it's engraved with, like, rose. I don't know. It's, like, almost like, imagine, like, you were to do, like, ice picking. Mm Mm-hmm. It'd be like that. Someone, like, picked into the bottom of the glass and created a rose. So it's really cute. The bottle's adorable. But I'm just not a rosé fan. So if anybody out there does like rosé and thinks that CJ and I are insane, let us know what we should be buying. Because I'm happy to, like, try other wines. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, I just haven't really been into the ones I've had. I got so drunk on Sunday that I started drinking Chardonnay. I got so drunk on Sunday, too. Did you start drinking Chardonnay, too? 
No, I started drinking okay. Jameson shots and then I basically oh like blacked out by like 11 and then had to be hung over at work all day Monday. Oh my God. Biggest mistake of my life. Um, that's how you know. If you see me in the club drinking Chardonnay, tell me to go home. <laughs> like it's time to go. <sighs> all right. Wine review done. I, oh, the last thing on my wine, as always, since I literally do not own any wine glasses, I'm drinking it out of a plastic Mardi Gras cup that I got off a parade float. Yay. Okay. I think that thing has an expiration date. What does? (laughs) Your cup. (laughs) What does that mean? Like, it's not going to last very long? Yeah. Like, you're not supposed to be drinking out of those after, like, a certain amount of time. Is that or what happens? That's like a real thing. Will I die? It like it like plastic in general, like Tupperware or like cups like that. Like they have a shelf life, and it usually says it on the bottom. No, it doesn't. Does it really? Like use by? (laughs) I'm looking at the bottom. I just spilled some of it. All it says is BPA free. Top rack, dishwasher safe, made in the USA, which is actually kind of impressive for a Mardi Gras throw. <laughs> um, but it's got a cute little, like, drawing of gr- Greek God that you can't really see. Oh, it is cute. cute. All right. Well, I'm going to die, but that's fine. If the cork taint didn't kill me, then God damn it. <laughs> this plastic is true. Okay. So today I will be covering... Another not very widely known woman. I'd be surprised if many of you have heard of her. And she doesn't have like an insane story, but I think she's just a super interesting mix of things. So I'm going to just tell you a little bit about a woman by the name of Wendy Carlos, who was an American, who is an American musician and composer, and she was one of the very first pioneers of electronic and synth music. Okay. Stay tuned. Wendy Carlos was born in Pawtucket, Rhode Island in 1939. Pawtucket. What a good (laughs) ass fucking name. Also, like, Rhode Island is a state, which I constantly forget. Isn't it's it like really this, tiny? It's like as big as like the tip of your coke nail. And it's just kind of like <laughs> hanging on. It's so small. But she was born there in 1939 to working class parents. Her mom and her uncle both played instruments and sang. So she was introduced to music at a very young age. And she started playing piano at six years old. She wrote her first composition, a trio for clarinet, accordion, and piano at age 10. And then at age 14, she won a scholarship for a home-built computer that she showed at a national high school science competition. So not just a really smart kid, but a kid who is very mathematically, mechanically, and musically minded. And those actually tend to go along. People who are really great with music also tend to be really great with math. It's like the same hemisphere in your brain yeah. or something. Yeah. Um. She attended Brown University in Rhode Island, where she earned degrees in music and physics, which I think is super cool. And during her time at Brown, on the side, she started teaching people how to make electronic music, because you have to keep in mind, this is the 50s and 60s. I guess by now, this would be the 60s. Electronic music isn't really a thing yet. Like, disco doesn't exist. 
there's not really dance music this is like a totally new people are like computers what does that do like this is a totally new fucking thing in music. so like she was literally like making beats and stuff yeah like using her computer and mathematical physics know-how to to make music on on computers basically yeah wow. in the 60s yeah hmm. nuts and uh, she goes on to get a master's degree in music composition from Columbia, where she wrote the scores for several student films, as well as a film that was made for UNICEF, uh, the United Nations Children's Arm. And uh, after her graduation from Columbia, she began working as a recording and mastering engineer at Gotham Recording Studios in New York, where she worked for several years. I'm not going to lie, like, as I was reading up on her, I was like, man, if only she would mix our episodes for us. So, right? Wendy, girl, you listening? <laughs> Come through. <laughs> Since someone named Ben isn't going to do it for us. Um, <laughs> anyway, I'm not upset. So, during her time at Columbia, she meets Robert Moog. Now, if you know anything about the history of electronic music, which most people don't, but if you do know any name, Robert Moog would be the name that you would know because he invented the first commercial synthesizer, which was called the Moog synthesizer. So basically, like any electronic music you've ever heard in your life is the grandchild of Robert Moog. Hmm. Um, He's who made it possible. And they have a professional partnership for several years. Wendy actually helps him develop the Moog. So it's like his design, it's his invention, but she basically serves as a consultant to him. She offers him advice, technical assistance. And she also like, there are certain features of the Moog, which like was too technical for me to understand or explain, but there are certain features of the Moog synthesizer that are there specifically because of Wendy, because Wendy was like, Hey, you should have this and you should have that. And you should do this thing. Mm -hmm. You should do that thing. So even though like the average person might not know what the Moog synthesizer is like, this is a basic, the the modern equivalent of someone creating the guitar it's like a huge huge invention and so she ends up actually getting her own moog synthesizer she was one of the very first people to have one because of her relationship with moog so she has one by 1966 whereas most people don't have them until the 70s or 80s and she starts making jingles and sound effects for tv ads and she her first quote-unquote commercial release of music was actually an introduction to the technical aspects of the Moog. So she basically like didn't write the book but composed the album on Moog and teaching people how to use the Moog synthesizer and she was compensated in that with like by other equipment like Moog basically was just like paying her out in his in his synthesizer equipment for her to make this stuff. So which was cool because it was giving her access to stuff that other musicians didn't have access to yet and at this point in the game like she is one of very few people on planet earth who even knows how to make digital music i mean it's super 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 new her actual like big music career really began in 1968 with the release of an album called switched on bach it was a collection of songs by Johann Sebastian Bach that were all done on the Moog synthesizer, which was super tedious because the Moog synthesizer at the time could only play one note at a time. 
So any like classical music, especially Bach is very polyphonic. There's like a bunch of instruments playing at the same time. So they had to like manually like make like make one note, press a button, change the note, press a button, change the note, press the button for every single instrument and sound on the track. So it was like super, super, super fucking tedious, but they do it. Um, They being her and her creative partner, who I will talk about later, um, but a female creative partner that she worked with. And they create this album that ends up being this humongous commercial success and critical success, which was completely unexpected. It drew a ton of attention to synthesizers. It basically was like the first big album that had people realizing that this was a real instrument. Like, this is late 60s, nobody knew you could make these noises, and they're like, oh shit, this is real, like, this is real music, this is a classical composer. The album, this blew my mind, reached number 10 on the US Billboard 200 chart. Just like the main, like during 1968. Yeah. Oh, wow. This wasn't like, not the classical chart, the Billboard 200, like all of the songs that were out, that was number 10 on the chart. Wow. Isn't that fucking nuts? Yeah. And like, think of all the great music that was out in 1968. Like, what well, a great time for music. it was like the one like thing that was different than all exactly. the other like psychedelic rock that was happening. Exactly. And that's like kind of the point. It was like, holy shit, like no one's heard anything like this before. So it reaches number 10 on the US Billboard 200. And then it stays number one on the US Billboard classical albums chart for three years. It was the second classical album to ever sell more than one million copies. And in 1970, it won three Grammy Awards, including Best Classical Album, Best Classical Performance by an Instrumental Soloist, and Best Engineered Classical Recording. Which, like, by the way, there are so many more Grammy Awards than I ever realized. Like, remember we were talking about Tia Carrera's Hawaiian Grammys? (laughs) And that, like... In, ni- in 1970, they had best engineered classical recording. Like, what the fuck? Okay, cool. So uh, from there, obviously, she becomes like very well known at this point, at least in the composition musical community. She goes on to compose soundtracks for TV and film. Most notably, she composed the original soundtrack for Stanley Kubrick's A Clockwork Orange, as well as Stanley Kubrick's movie The Shining. She also composed the original soundtrack for Disney's original Tron movie, so the one that came out in the 1980s. She went on to do several electronic renditions of many classical albums, and she also was one of the first, if not the first, people to create ambient music and soundscapes so the idea of layering nature sounds on top of drum beats on top of waterfalls she was one of the very first people to ever do that so kind of like obscure in what she did you know like who knows like why would you know about classical engineering or um classical electronic composers but she was actually like a really big deal in her field and was one of the very first people to break ground in it she also, plot twist, was not born Wendy Carlos. She was born as Walter Carlos. Wendy Carlos transitioned 
during her musical career. So she said that she knew from the age of five or six that she was not supposed to be a boy. Quote, I remember being convinced I was a little girl and not knowing why my parents didn't see it clearly. By the time she moves to New York, once she's going to Columbia, she has exposure to a lot more people, a lot more liberal communities. She starts learning about transgender issues, and in the 60s, she starts to receive counseling and begins to transition in 1968. So the same year that she has all of that crazy success with that that Bach album, she's actually in the middle of her transition from male to female. But for 10 years after that, she would appear in public performances and when she had to appear publicly for any reason as her musical self she would appear as a man so even though she had transitioned she would like draw facial hair on her face and talk like a dude and look like a dude and this was the time that you might understand was very upsetting for her because she basically had to pretend she was someone she wasn't because she was so afraid of the backlash so are you saying that in her personal life she like was a woman and then professionally a man yeah 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 totally nuts and i read a quote that have been like a crossover of people that knew this was happening yeah but i think it yes totally but in terms of like award like the grammys or if she would go perform at like a symphony hall probably there were people like in the orchestra and stuff who knew her and knew but if you were just like someone in the audience you would just think it was a dude interesting Um, and yeah i read a quote on wikipedia basically by the way all of this is from wikipedia because it's actually really hard to find information about her online um but you know she basically mentioned like she would just be like crying while drying on facial hair because it was just like you know so she kept all of this a secret from the public but finally decided to do a set of interviews between december 1978 and january 1979 in playboy magazine and she says that she chose Playboy, and I thought about you and I thought about Gloria when I, when I wrote this down, because, quote, Playboy has always been concerned with liberation, and I was anxious to liberate myself. So she posed in Playboy as a woman? She didn't pose in Playboy. She just oh. ran. Because Play, Playboy does just, like, writing, too. And got they do it, interviews it, and it, stuff. It, yeah. It. So they, I didn't write the author's name down, but she did a series of interviews with this author in Playboy. Okay yeah interesting and this but i thought that same time as gloria right and i thought that was interesting like i don't know i personally do not see playboys being about female liberation so that was interesting to me but i think gloria's time was in the 70s yeah so this was this was late late 70s okay huh Mm -hmm. But you know what, though? Like, Gloria was the one during that time period that was trying to prove that message wrong. Right. So maybe, like, maybe people didn't know it wasn't liberating for women. Right. Like, they didn't get the the hint yet. Totally. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, so that's where she chose to out herself was in Playboy magazine. Wow. Of all places. Uh, And she said that she was completely surprised with how tolerant or at least indifferent the public was she was she basically was like no one really cared and it made me feel really regretful that i'd spent 10 years of my life hiding when no one seemed to care but then who knows like maybe those 10 years made a really big difference in how people perceived those things and responded to those things so i mean and also who's to say she would have reached her same success had she transitioned prior to like 
all of her music career. Right. Right. And, like, been out about it. Yeah, right. Exactly. And this was kind of a weird, let's just random aside that was on the Wikipedia page. In 1998, she sues songwriter Momus, if I'm saying that name correctly, for a song called Walter Carlos, which is her birth name, uh, that basically told the story of her female self going backwards in time and marrying her male self. Oh, weird. Right. So she's like, I'm going to sue you for $30 million. Please don't do that. <laughs> why? Like, I have no idea. Like, just why? Like, what? Who is like, oh, I have a really great idea for a band song, guys. Like, right. <laughs> right. Does uh, she even, like, know this person? I don't know. Like, literally, there was, like, no information. It was just, like, this little aside. I was like, I have to bring this up. Um, She sued him for over $30 million. They ended up settling it out of court. He removed the song from future versions of the the album, so they didn't print any more with that song. And he had to pay, like, $30,000 in legal fees or something like that. Super fucking random. Uh, Another kind of like interesting thing that I thought was cool about her is that she had throughout her career has always had like really close creative partnerships. So her first big partnership was with a woman named Rachel L. Kind, I think is how you say it, El Kind El Kind, who was a former singer and at the time of their becoming friends was secretary to the president of columbia records they worked together for over a decade they lived in the same home they shared a studio like a recording studio and business premises and after over 10 years of collaboration they ended their pardon me they ended their creative partnership because rachel ended up moving to france with her husband in 1980 so i thought it was super um well, hang on. And then her, the woman that she kind of booed up with after that, creatively speaking, was a woman named Anne Marie Franklin, for whom, with whom she also shared her house and studio. So I don't think either, from what I could tell, I don't think either of these were romantic pairings. She just like they got like really, really deep into their art together to the point where they were like living, breathing, like everything was happening together. I thought that was super fucking interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm almost done with her, but just a couple of like fun asides. She is also an accomplished solar eclipse photographer, as as <laughs> many of us are. <laughs> and to the point that like I'm like, how do you even again, this is just as like this one little sentence on Wikipedia that I'm like, I don't know what to do with this. How do you even how does someone casually take on solar eclipse photography as a hobby? <laughs> Okay. So who yeah, who knows? Right. The, you so, know, they have to have one of those like gigantic lenses, you know, the ones that like extend all crazy stuff. Right. Right. Um and like solar eclipse, that's like so specific. Like how often does that happen? You know, like it's just so weird. But her her solar eclipse photography has been published online by NASA and featured on the cover of sky and telescope magazine which is a magazine so she's that's her side hustle is being a solar eclipse photographer interesting in 2005 she received a lifetime achievement award from the society for electroacoustic music in the united states for her contributions to electronic music because she basically was the grandmother of electronic music 
And she is now 79 years old. She's still alive. I have no idea where she lives or what she's up to. Couldn't really find much information of her online. She has a website that looks like it was made in 1992. And uh, she, so to wrap her up, Wendy Carlos is a trans synth musician, pioneer, and solar eclipse photographer. That's pretty sick. Like, I'm trying to sit next to that person at a fucking party. Hell yeah. <laughs> and so I have wild. to say, shout out, I found out about her. I my It was my friend Emily's birthday on Sunday. Happy birthday. And she was having a little party at her house. And his name is Dan, because I asked her his name. Uh, this guy, Dan, was telling me that... Um, which side note his girlfriend is in what's called a mardi gras crew which are the crews that like dance and march and parades together and i think i'm going to join her crew it's called crew of goddesses we can talk about that later but one of the things that they did in crew of goddesses was decorate oyster shells with like different like feminist icons and he was like yeah yeah and like my girlfriend tried to do people that no one had ever heard of like wendy carlos and i was like who the fuck is wendy carlos and he was like wendy carlos is this like trans synthesizer musician i was like i need to fucking cover this woman on our podcast stat so i just found out about her at a party on sunday uh can we get pictures of these oyster ladies I will try. Yeah, I we will should put that on our them. Instagram. That would be super cool. I'll ask Emily if she has pictures. Yeah, of, that's yeah. a really like a really cool thing. Like we should definitely get pictures and like shout that out. So Dan and Jules, who I barely know and who are probably not listening to this podcast, thank you. You inspired me to cover Wendy Carlos. Woo! I love it. Do Isn't we have pictures cool? of her? Yeah, and she's like. I'm kind of obsessed with the way she looks. Well, what's her um, ethnicity? She's, she, I think she's white. She looks white okay. from what I can tell. But her last name is Carlos. But from what, so maybe, I don't know, like, again, not a ton of info of her online, but the way she looks in photographs is very pale. And where so. does she live again? Well, I don't know where she lives now, but she was from Rhode Island. Rhode and Island. I have a feeling yes, she probably okay, lives what, in I New York. I remember. She probably lives in New York because that's where she's, she was forever. Okay. Um, that's super cool that's a there's really also cool woman there's a really cool picture of her online with a siamese cat just like draped across her shoulder nice <laughs> this bitch is baller yeah so that's wendy carlos Woo! love it so i have like a cup like a thought on her zodiac sign okay is she a cancer she is not a cancer kind of close I don't know how much to give you. Uh, I mean, I feel like she has to be water. She's water. Yeah. Okay. So she Pisces? Nope. She's a Scorpio? She's a Scorpio, November 14th, 1939. Nice. Well, you know, like the the cheapest comparison, I guess, would be like the idea of transformation and transition. Yeah. Super scorpion. Um, but it would not have been yeah, it's a hard guess. See, I mainly thought cancer because she like started this whole new idea of music. Mm-hmm. And like you always, whenever you like think of cancers, you always kind of like coin them to be like the person that like paved the way for other yeah. people to follow behind. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of was what I was thinking. And then just her artsiness. 
mm-hmm. um, creativity. It seemed like she had to be a water sign. I also felt like I would have probably guessed Pisces just because of her creative partnerships. Like, I thought that was super interesting. Yeah. That, like, that duality piece. Like, well, and, like, Scorpios trust no one. I know. They don't let anybody in. Mm hmm. So that is interesting. Yeah. So she's a Scorpio, Wendy Carlos. Super cool. cool. Yeah. Love it. Thank you for sharing. I love people like her. Like, I just, I'm like really starting to like love these new people that I've never heard of or you've never heard of that have awesome stories. So, yeah, excited about it. I feel like I'm going to be doing a lot more of those. So I hope, I hope all 200 of you like them. Well, I'm excited about my lady because everybody knows what she did, but I don't think anyone knows her name. Okay. And so it's like, I think that's what makes her really interesting is that like literally right now today, you could be at a Ralph's and be in contact with her, but you wouldn't know it's her. Okay. So I'm really excited because... I'm just really excited. So (laughs) I really like this lady. I really like what she did. I really like her life story. I didn't know anything about her until I did the research today. So all of this is news to me. Um, But today I'm going to be covering Juliet Gordon Lowe. And she was the founder of the Girl Scouts of the United States of America. Ah. Which the reason why I'm covering her today is because today... March 13th, 2019, is the 107th birthday of the Girl Scouts of the United States of America. Woo-woo! Woo-woo! All right, so, like I was saying, like, everybody knows Girl Scouts. We know of the Girl Scout troops. We know of the Girl Scout cookies. Like, so many kids are in Girl Scouts. Like, it's a fucking thing, you know? But mostly those motherfucking cookies, girl. (laughs) (laughs) Right? So good. Uh, Do they have a lot of Girl Scouts in Louisiana? I don't know, but we sure got the cookies. We actually... Yeah. Also, side note, today they did a raffle at the end of yoga class, and one of the raffle items was a box of Thin Mints. Yeah. (laughs) So my favorite are Tagalongs. Oh, Tagalongs and... um, Samoas, the coconut ones. I'm not a coconut fan. Uh, well, if you don't like coconut, but if you like coconut, oh, they're so good. So, uh, I was just stoked because, like, I don't know. I I don't know if other people feel this way, but, like, I kind of thought it was crazy that, like, I didn't know anything about the founder of Girl Scouts. Like, I, and I was a Girl Scout as a kid, I eat their cookies all the time. Like, it's just such a common thing in our society. It's, like, such a well-known organization. But I literally had no idea who the founder was. And to be honest, never thought about it. Mm -hmm. And, like, I don't know if anybody else has that. Like, I don't know if anybody else has thought that. Like, or is it, or doesn't know who she is either. And is kind of like, oh, wow, that's kind of weird. I don't know who she is either. But like, after like hearing her whole story, I'm like, oh my God, like that kind of sucks that she isn't more of an icon to this organization today as she should be. So I'm excited about her story. So Juliet was born in 1860 in our favorite place, Savannah, Georgia. (gasps) Yes! 
Um, as a child, she spent most of her time pursuing art and poetry rather than doing her schoolwork. She wrote and performed in plays. She started her own newspaper with her cousins, and she formed a club with her cousins with the goal of helping other people, and they called the club the Helpful Hand Club, where they learned how to sew so that they could make clothing for children of Italian immigrants. Hmm. Like, this was her first organization as a child. Like, How old was she when she made this? I don't know. I didn't get an age, but she had to have been under 12. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um. So she was dubbed the name Crazy Daisy by her family and her friends because she was, like, totally eccentric. She was, like, really kind of outlandish and weird and quirky and funny, had lots of energy. And one of her cousins described her as saying... While you never knew what she would do next, she always did what she made up her mind to do. So Juliet's parents raised her with traditional Southern values, and they sent her away to boarding school starting at age 12. She was there for years, but sadly, at age 20, one of her sisters passed away. Well, not her sister wasn't 20. Juliet was 20. I don't know how old her sister was, but... Juliet was 20 years old, so she moved back from boarding school because, like, her parents were hysterical. So she had to, like, come back, and she tried to, like, take care of the home and, like, handle things while her mom was grieving. And during this time period, Juliet met the king of the fuckboys. And his name was William McKay Lowe. I already hate him. I hate him. I don't know anything about him. (laughs) He was the son of a family friend, and the two of them began secretly dating while she was home in town. Then William went off to college, and while he was gone, Juliet went to go travel Europe, because that's what badass bitches do. I guess she's like, oh, you're going to college? You think I'm going to sit here and cry about it? No. I'm going on vacation. Yes! (laughs) And while she was traveling, she learned all kinds of new skills, such as short hand writing like you know that weird like shorthand cursive or whatever my grandma used to do that for like a living back in the day yeah so she learned how to do that she also learned how to do bareback horseback riding and she learned how to hunt So a few years later, William. Wait, came sorry, back. I have to like butt in. Like the horseback riding and the hunting go together in a really logical way. I'm like, where does the shorthand riding come in? Who the hell knows? I love it. So a couple years later, William graduates from college and he comes back home and he proposes to Juliet. They spent much of the first two years of their marriage apart because Juliet was having medical issues that she couldn't quite figure out what they were. And William was out on long hunting and gambling trips. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. So while Juliet was dealing with medical problems, her husband was away uh, on leisure time. (laughs) I hate him. Like I said fuck boy of the century (laughs) um so the long separation apart combined with what they discovered were her medical problems which was her inability to have children caused a major strain on their relationship 
so like i think what was happening was that they were trying to have children it wasn't working so she was having to deal with like a lot of medical procedures or seeing doctors about this or that or this or that i don't really know i didn't didn't there wasn't much research on those details but i'm i'm guessing that's what it was and so like her dealing with that him being off like running amok and then like just them being apart for so long it just obviously wasn't ideal for how people spend the first couple years of their marriages together so during this time when shit was rocky she just started spending her time painting she learned how to do woodworking and metalworking and she designed (laughs) she designed and she built iron gates for her home I just love these women back in the day that are just doing, like, insane, like, weird hobbies, you know? Yes. Yes. That's so <laughs> like, She's, like, out in the shed doing metalworking. It's, like, 1914 or something. Like, what? It's just so random. Um, so, hold on. I lost my place. Okay, so then she was also hosting all kinds of parties and events at her house, and she was devoted to doing charity work, even though her husband was against it. She made regular visits to a woman with leprosy, and she fed and cared for the poor in a nearby village and also joined a local nursing association. So at this point, her marriage was failing, and her husband was practically never around on top of him being a raging alcoholic. And to top it off, he started having an affair with a woman named Anna Bateman, who was a widow of, like, I believe a very high-level sergeant that had, like, fought for the Civil War. And so I don't know how they all came into contact, but the story was that, like... So this was something else I didn't write down because it didn't seem relevant, but to explain this maybe more so, her and her husband had two estates basically they had their like savannah home and then they had some home in scotland and like he'd go out to scotland and go hunt and do all his shit and like i think she was chilling in savannah and so this woman was staying at the hotland or the scotland estate because she was there i think like suffering from her widowness i don't know and then of course one thing led to another and they started banging it out so that happens um and juliet finds out and when she finds out she like confronts him about it and they decide that they're going to separate but they haven't yet gotten divorced but they were like living apart permanently and during this time william began he began withholding money from juliet um even though like during this time like he was like the you know he was the breadwinner like he was making the money for the family she like wasn't and so he wasn't giving her money and yeah, she was making he, the iron gates for the family home right? She's busy. <laughs> and so he was withholding money from her unless she agreed to div- like to a divorce but at this time divorce would only be granted if you could prove adultery and um she was really conflicted on that because in order to prove adultery she'd have to throw anna bateman's name like in the mud and i think due to the fact that she was a widow and what she was going through it would like result in even worse like social repercussions for all of them and so like in order to like withstand reputation she wasn't gonna throw anna bateman under the rug that's really fucking generous yeah 
Wow. So wow. that was what she was going through. She was like, I know, I, like, I want to divorce you, believe me. But, like, I would have to tell everybody that you've been sleeping with Anna and, like, that's going to fuck everything up. Like, it's going to make the situation even worse. And so she, like, didn't want to do it. And so she was super conflicted about it. But then two years later, uh, Juliet finally received her first sum of money from her husband. Two years later. And she was able to purchase her own home in London with that money. Shortly after this, her husband, William, suffered a stroke. Oh, baby. Following that, he died from a seizure. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Sorry, <laughs> let me stop. Let me stop. But he died. Bye. He died before the divorce was ever finalized. Like, it was so like. She got out, did she get all his shit? Sorry. So it was in process, like, I think papers were trying to be filed, like, she just was struggling with the, like, Anna did it, Anna did it thing, so it was, like, dragging and dragging and dragging, and it was just all a big mess. So he died before it ever was finalized, so, like, they were still legally married when he died. After the funeral, it was revealed that he left almost everything in his will to Anna Bateman. (gasps) But his own sisters contested the will and Juliet ultimately received some of the money and rights to the property. (laughs) I love how, like, all the bitches banded together and shut that shit down. Right? (laughs) Like, his own sisters were like, who the fuck does this fool think he is? Like, in death. Fuck you, bro. We're gonna fix it. Yeah, because, like, Juliet wasn't a bad woman. Her husband was just a piece of shit, and he cheated on her and was all horny with this lady and was like, let me give you all my money when I die. Mm -mm. I'm so glad his sisters fixed it. Right? That's some girl power shit right there. Fuck yeah. (laughs) So, after he died, Juliet's like, well, I'm gonna go start traveling again. (laughs) So she gets the (laughs) So she hits the road and she starts to look for new projects to focus her time on. And in 1911, she came across Sir Robert Baden Powell at a party and was inspired by his program called the Boy Scouts. In 1912, about a year later, Julia and Robert traveled to the U.S. together to spread like the scouting movement. So her and him became like really good friends. And he kind of turned into like a mentor to her because she was like, oh, my God, I love what you're doing. This is so interesting to me. And they just like were like hanging out and like being networking friends and like, I don't know, spilling ideas off each other. And so they they traveled to the U.S. because she kind of wanted to like be a part of this movement that was happening And when she arrived back home to Savannah, she called her cousin Nina and said, I've got something for the girls of Savannah and all of America and all of the world, and we're going to start it tonight. (laughs) Yes. So shortly after March of 1912, Juliet formed the first two American Girl Guides patrols which registered 18 girls. So it was originally called the American Girl Guides Patrols. It was the first name. Um, The early growth of the Girl Guides movement in the U.S. was due to Juliet's extensive social connections. She advertised in newspapers and magazines and recruited her family and friends. And within one year, Juliet had released the first American Girl Guides manual titled How Girls Can Help Their Country. 
She established the first headquarters in a remodeled carriage house behind her home in Savannah, and the headquarters contained meeting rooms for the local Girl Guide patrols, and the lot outside was used for marching and signaling drills and sports like basketball. (laughs) You know who, who I'm thinking of right now is Julia Child. So am I. She would have been like so fucking down with this shit. (laughs) (laughs) Remember she was big into small game hunting? I will never forget that. (laughs) She was like six, seven. I love it. (laughs) And she was like a fucking spy. (laughs) She's so good. Episode Um, episode two. (laughs) So so at this time. So basically, beef was going down because at this time, there was another female group that had emerged called the Campfire Girls. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh-uh. You better step Which back, was- baby. <laughs> <laughs> Which was created by one of the CEOs of the Boy Scouts named James West. So he like did like a split off of Boy Scouts and was like, oh, I'm going to start a girls group now and we're going to call them the Campfire Girls. Um, This group run by James West of the Boy Scouts was a very strict about gender roles and he talked shit on the girl guides saying that the activities they participated in were very gender inappropriate. Juliet, being the sweet Juliet that she is, attempted to reach out to James West in hopes of merging the two two like girl groups into one group. She's like, "Why should we be two separate groups? Let's just merge into one. Like that makes the most sense. Let's like make our crew bigger and like have everybody be in one one party. And let's keep the name the Girl Guides." <laughs> And he declined because he was concerned that the public would question the masculinity of the Boy Scouts if they were participating in similar activities as the Girl Guides. Okay, so put him in the baby back bitch basket. 100%. (laughs) So yeah, basically he's like... So he has the Boy Scouts, which do boy shit. Then he created the Campfire Girls that are doing all these prissy female, you know, gender-specific girl stuff. And then Juliet has her girls' guides, which are, like, a mixed range of activities that could be considered male or female-dominated, whatever. And he was like, if we merge our two girl groups together, you're going to have them doing gender-inappropriate things, and that's going to threaten the Boy Scouts. You're going to turn him into a bunch of lesbos. <laughs> so, so he declined her offer. But somehow, the campfire girls were expanding much more rapidly than the girl guides. And Juliet needed to find a solution to make sure that she could keep her group alive and prosperous. So she decided to change the name from girl guides to girl scouts, which pissed James West off. Off. He was so pissed and he said that it tri- trivialized. Tri- is that a word? Trivialized? Yes. He said that it okay. trivialized the name of Scout and would cause older Boy Scouts to quit. What? Like, okay. <laughs> 
But remember, she has her other friend who's also part of the CEOs of the Boy Scouts named Robert, who was her original mentor. And Uh he stepped up and had her back and said he totally supported the name change. And he was 100% on board with making sure that it happened. Yes! So James West got kicked to the curb and Robert stuck up for Juliet and they became the Girl Scouts. Fuck yeah, Robert. Way to be a cool dude. (laughs) In 1913, Julia set up the Girl Scouts National Headquarters in Washington, D.C., and she hired her friend Edith Johnston to be the National Executive Secretary. She recruited leaders and members in various states and then designed the Treffold Badge, although James West claimed the badge belonged to the Boy Scouts and the Girl Scouts had no right to use it. And ours. (laughs) And although Juliet had a ton of support due to all her connections, she still funded most of the Girl Scout expenses by herself. So right around this time began the start of World War One. And there was also a response to the thrift program, which was a program intacted by the United States Food Admission, which had the goal of like teaching women how to conserve food for World War One. And the Girl Scouts of Washington, D.C. began growing and harvesting their own food and canning perishable goods. Herbert Hoover wrote to Juliet thanking her for her contributions of the Girl Scouts and expressing hope that other Girl Scouts in the country would follow suit. She responded by organizing Girl Scouts to help the Red Cross by making surgical dressings and knitting clothing for soldiers. They also picked oakum. I don't know what that is. Swept workrooms, created scrapbooks for wounded soldiers, and made smokeless trench candles for soldiers to heat their food with. Which, like, that's so insane that the original crew of girl scouts were out there in world war one doing shit for fucking soldiers yeah like i also was a girl scout and i'm like oh we didn't do that (laughs) (laughs) did not do that isn't that wild though yeah like she has like a crew of like young young girls that are like stepping up for like real world matters like i can't even fucking imagine so by the end of 1917 Juliet convinced Lou Henry Hoover to become the national vice president of the Girl Scouts and Edith Bolingout Wilson, President Woodrow Wilson's second wife, to become the honorary president of the Girl Scouts, and they both agreed. So, Juliet developed breast cancer in 1923, but she kept it a secret. She caught the flu after an operation to remove a lump that had left her bedridden for almost a year. When she recovered, she went back to work, but she would secretly have two more operations to try and cure her breast cancer. She told absolutely no one while this was happening. Mm. And in 1925, she was informed that she only had six months left to live. She continued to work for the Girl Scouts and even snuck away during her recovery from surgery to make a speech at the Girl Scouts Regional Conference. When she knew her time was limited, she went back to Savannah and she died on January 17, 1926 at the age of 66. An honor guard of Girl Scouts escorted her casket to her funeral the next day. 
250 Girl Scouts left school early to attend her funeral. She was buried in her Girl Scouts uniform with a note in her pocket that that said, you are not only the first Girl Scout, but the best Girl Scout of them all. (laughs) After, I know it's kind of sad. Um, after her death, her friends honored her by establishing the Juliet Lowe World Friendship Fund, which finances international projects for Girl Scouts and Girl Guides around the world. She is remembered nearly 100 years after her passing with camps, schools, and scholarships established in her honor. Other tributes include a postage stamp, numerous biographies, and even an opera about her life and achievements. She was also post i can never say this word right posthumous yeah posthumously Mm -hmm. what is it just like the t just treat the t as silent posthumously okay yeah she was also posthumously awarded the presidential medal of freedom by president barack obama in 2012 which is the highest civilian honor you can get bt dubs and that's juliet gordon lowe I love that you covered her. Isn't she good? That's such, she's such a good pick for this podcast. Cause she just like, she it's so meta, you know? Like she's this badass woman who literally created like generations and generations of other badass women. That's yeah. so great. I know. I, I um, like right when you were talking about like all the camps and stuff and that were created as a result of girl scouts my very first job was as a summer camp counselor at a girl scout camp so she is directly responsible for the very first job that i ever had that's so cool yeah and then of course i was a girl scout like we all were um (laughs) until we all dropped out but that is so badass isn't that cool though that like almost every girl is a girl scout at some point yeah i think that's great um i think that's like super important and i'm glad it's still a thing did i ever tell you that walter bradley has like the highest level of eagle scout that exists no but that i'm not at all surprised by that for some reason (laughs) (laughs) just that makes perfect sense to me only like when you think of how few people get that far in girl scouts or boy scouts like what is i don't even know what the highest girl scout couldn't tell you yeah no idea that's awesome yeah (sighs) wow um i have so many thoughts you're not gonna get it okay fuck her husband i just want to throw that out there real quick (laughs) i'm not gonna get it at all no all right well i can tell you who like my top two guesses would have been okay yeah my top two guesses would have been gemini or sagittarius just, I would have picked Sagittarius. Just because, like, the reason I say Gemini is because she had a bajillion hobbies, which is, like, super Gemini. And then Sagittarius because she loved to travel and, like, was always just off doing her thing, which is super Sagittarius. So those were my those were my top two guesses. Um, let me do one more. Is she an Aries? Nope. Okay, I don't know. I give up. So my top two guesses would have been Sagittarius or Libra. 
Because I feel like her, like, huge... She was, like, so popular and she had all these friends and social circles that, like, when she started her own organization, there were, like, a billion people that she could reach out to immediately, which I feel like is very, like, Libra. Um, But Sagittarius, because she is so adventurous and, like, you know, she she met that guy. They were dating. He went to college. He's like, well, I'm going to go travel Europe, see around. Right. That's just very Sagittarius, too. Totally. Um... I'm happy to report, for the first episode ever, we have both covered two Scorpios. Oh, God. She's a sorry. I mean, yay! <laughs> <laughs> wow, yeah, I would never, literally ever guess that. I don't see a single thing in at her all. story that points nothing. at Scorpio. Nothing whatsoever. Nothing whatsoever. <laughs> Absolutely Nothing. Um, the reason I guessed Aries and that was like a kind of shot in the dark was similar to your Libra thing of like she just had a ton of friends which I feel is very Aries but for me the things that stuck out was like obviously she was like had a ton of hobbies was super adventurous and open-minded and then also the fact that like she didn't seem to need anyone yeah like she just like did her own thing which is why like Scorpio seems or any water sign sounds like insane to me because they like need people Mm-hmm. That's nuts. When's her birthday? Uh, October 31st. <gasps> Shut up! Which, by the way, She's so that cool. is that is a National Girl Scout holiday. So really? they October 31st is the national holiday of founders. I think that's what they call it. Okay, so well, like that makes her a cooler Scorpio already because yeah, her birthday's she's Halloween. A Halloween baby. So she's the coolest. She's so fucking cool. I do I did want to bring up something. I remember when I was in Girl Scouts, we had to do like a little play about her. And oh, of really? course Yes. And of course I was chosen to be the older version of her because I was the tallest person. So I always got chosen to do the old stuff. They were like, You're tall, you're you get to be the old person. I was like, Okay, great. But I and I don't remember any of it. But I, the one thing I remember, or I don't remember any of it, but this, I remember that according to like what our troop told us, she was deaf in one ear because a piece of rice flew into it during her like wedding ceremony. Is that true? Okay. So I actually didn't talk about this in, in the bio because, you know, we try to like, we tried to pick the most relevant things, and I didn't think this was that, that relevant, but it was actually something that was discussed when she was a child, that she was one of those kids that was, like, literally accident-prone. Like, she'd be the kid that fell out of her bed and hit her head on the floor and have to go to the hospital. She apparently almost had... She had broken, like, two of her fingers so badly that her parents thought they were going to amputate them. She had gotten malaria a few times as a child in Savannah, Georgia. Like, she just had all these fucking ailments, but, and she also had very chronic earaches, but she did experience something which I do not believe took place at her wedding. I think that might have not been true, but she did experience uh, some type of accident that left her almost permanently damaged in one year for her whole life. Got it. Okay. I don't, I didn't read on, in my research that it happened at her wedding. Okay. Yeah. The, I just remember that because it was so obscure. Maybe this isn't what happened, but like the story I was told was that, you know how they throw like rice sometimes when a couple's like walking down the steps of the chair that or of the chapel that like a pe like one grain of rice just like rocketed into her ear canal and made her go (laughs) hard of hearing. And and, and it stuck with me because I was like, damn, that sucks. Like what are the chances that that would ever happen? (laughs) 
That's hilarious. She's great. Wow. She really is great. I like you know what? Is it too late to join the Girl Scouts again? <laughs> so it's funny because Girl Scouts have strangely been popping up into my life recently. So first off, a friend of mine at work has a friend who works for the Girl Scouts. And their home office is in Irvine, where I work. And so Random. one time she came in to our office and brought us a bunch of cookies. <laughs> so that like happened recently. Like that was maybe a couple of months ago. And I remember thinking to myself like, oh my God, first of all, didn't know that the like corporate office of Girl Scouts is in Irvine. Like second of all, can I apply and what jobs are open? Fuck and, like, yeah. Third of all, how cool would that be to work for the Girl Scouts? So like all of a sudden, all, all of these thoughts started happening. Then I saw a, like a month after that, I was on like BuzzFeed or some stupid news page you know where you just like look up nonsense articles mm-hmm. and there did you see that like that thing that went trending of that one like african-american little girl scout who did cardi b's song but changed all the lyrics to sell girl scout cookies no okay well i'm gonna send it to you immediately following How cute. this okay. and maybe we'll put it on our instagram page but it's fucking adorable and literally this girl she couldn't be more than like eight and she's like sitting with like all these girl scout cookies around her and she does one of these cardi beat songs but she changed all the songs to like all the lyrics to be girl scout related and it like went blowing up online so i saw that and when i saw that i was like i'm gonna start following the girl scouts because why not and so now i follow the girl scouts instagram page and that's how i found out today that it was their birthday so random how cute um and so like you're gonna work for them right like i need you to fucking work for the girl scouts how funny would that be that would be so fun i know i mean you're already commuting to irvine fuck it i know seriously also what a random location for their headquarters it is pretty random that is so cute i love everything about it I know. I'm she's so glad you covered her. So wait, she was what year was she born? She was born 1860. And the Girl Scouts were started in 190. In I think it was 1913. 1912. I'm also bringing this up. Granted, she clearly was someone who came from a lot of wealth and privilege. Oh but yeah, she did. So she got to kind of do whatever she wanted. But again, I love these ladies whose like purpose in life comes later because she was like in her what 40s by the time she started the Girl Scouts. Yeah. And like, I also just like even these privileged women that have the ability to do whatever they want, use it to do good things. Fuck yeah. Like a lot of people with privilege don't do fucking anything. Yeah. They, like, waste their opportunity to make change by just, like, being materialistic and, like, being lazy sacks of shit and, like, stuck-up dicks. And, like, I think it's, I mean, I think it's, there's something worth noting that women that do are fortunate enough to have wealth and, like, assets and, like, use it to benefit the rest of society is huge. I think it's a big thing. Mm-hmm. Totally. 100%. If you're rich and you're listening to this, A, give us your money. <laughs> And B, <laughs> don't be a dick. Like, help the world. <laughs> <laughs> but mostly your motto. That's the sisterhood's <laughs> motto. That could finally you, be it. If you're don't, rich, don't be a dick. Help the world. <laughs> or, like, even if you aren't, like, don't be a dick. Help the world. That's a great motto. <laughs> 
We're expecting fan art immediately. <laughs> Donation oh. fan art. Please. I love it. Well, that was a great episode. I know. That was like, I liked it. Yeah. And I like that. You, I liked your choice. Because again, like you said, she's like, we all know she must exist, but most of us don't know anything about her. No, so. nobody knows her story at all. Are the Girl Scouts still like, I know they're out there with the cookies. Are they still out there? They must be. Yeah. The cookies. I see them every fucking day. I go to Ralph's. <laughs> they're all over the streets in, in southern california you can't sl- kick, can't get rid of them they're slanging they're out yeah the and they're slanging. like they're like like really crafty these days so like the one girl that did the cardi b song like she put it online and it was trending and like i think like rihanna or somebody like wrote back and said how much ma- how many boxes of cookies do you need until you meet your goal and then like bought them all <laughs> so I, it might not have been a Rihanna. I don't remember. It was somebody yeah. else that was a celebrity was like, how much more does she need to meet her goal? Anyway, so that happened. And then I saw a different article about a different Girl Scout cookie that was selling her cookies. You know, the Samoas you were talking about? Yeah. What is this fucking guy's name? You never watched Game of Thrones, did you? No, I did. I did. I oh, watched you did? like a few seasons. Yeah. Do you remember Cal Drogo? The big giant uh, Neanderthal oh, guy, the fucking hot guy who's married yes. to Lisa Bonet. Why can't I think of his yes. name? But yes, so his last name is like some Samo something. Okay, and she put a picture of this guy on all her Samoa cookies. I think it's like, is it Jason? What the fuck is this? It's like Jason something. Jason Momoa, M O M O A, and so she put his face on the Samoas. And like it was <laughs> huge, it. it was huge and trending, but like fucking funny. If I was, if you were walking down the street and a girl, a little ten-year-old Girl Scout had Jason Momoa's face on the Samoa boxes, you would buy them. A hundred percent. Well, I remember like several years ago, and they're probably still doing this. When Girl Scouts started posting tables outside of dispensaries, like weed dispensaries, so right? you could like come out high as shit and be like fuck yeah i'll buy like 15 boxes of girl scout and you know what though like i don't really remember having this experience as a girl scout although i wasn't a girl scout for long like i really didn't enjoy it because i didn't i was never as a child somebody that wanted to be the spotlight and i remember going to all of these like every girl scout event we had to do some type of skit it was like constant skits never-ending skits always having to role play something get on a stage and do something and i hated that like that's never been my style i'm not a skit person and so i dropped out because i just it made me uncomfortable i didn't have that kind of like confidence when i was a kid but um when you think about it like them selling these cookies like you're really like actually teaching children like business like this is how much you need to sell this month here are all the boxes who are you going to reach out to how many did they buy you do the subtraction like how many do you need left like how much more until we reach our goal like you're i mean you would hope that they are kind of like the mom just isn't doing it all It would be cool if, like, the kids were kind of getting more training on that, but that is a really kind of cool thing about it, which I don't think it started that way when Juliet started the program, but it is kind of a good quality that it's evolved into, is, like, teaching women, like, their own business practices. 
Yeah. That's also like a story I want to know more about. Like, how did the Girl Scout cookie phenomenon start? Somebody, someone cover that on your podcast. That's not, that's not our, that's not our theme, but if you've got a, a snack history, bitch, let's make a snack history podcast where we just get high <laughs> as fuck and just eat snacks. We call it Snack City, bitch. And it'll be Snack City, bitch. It'll be so good. It would actually be great. Cool. I like that. That was a great episode. I love her. Um, that's it. That's all, folks. What, what was? What's our sign? That should be our sign off forever. Don't be that's a all, dick, folks. Oh no! Don't be a dick. What was it? Don't be a dick. Help someone. I don't remember. Don't be a dick. Or if you're rich, don't be a dick. Help help the world. Yeah. Exactly. But if you're rich, like mostly, just give us your money. Because yeah, you know we need it. Um, I would tell you to hit us up, but you're not gonna. So it's like fine. But all right. right. Until next time, don't be a dick. See ya. See you later, fuckers.